Thanks so much, team. Morning, friends. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's it's been such a big week for so many reasons, um, and um, uh, just before I continue the uh, teaching series, one other thing to just to update you on. Some of you may be aware of this, but this is for your prayers. But um, uh, Joy Grace is actually in, in has been in hospital overnight, so she's had some challenges with her heart recently she's recovered she's back in observation overnight um joy really didn't want us to say anything (laughs) but i got liz's permission because we all would want to know so i've got a i've got a rousing coming to me um uh but but she does sort of wanting to downplay yeah it's it's reason for us to pray but she wants to downplay the seriousness she's uh, okay, but we really want to pray. She gets to the bottom of that. It's only three weeks before she's to be in Turkey with you know these hundred women who are coming from all parts of Central uh, Central Europe, the sort of um, all the Istans there. So I'm sure that's on a mind uh, on a heart. So you'll probably get a little bit more detail from Lizzie afterwards. But let's continue to hold Joy in prayer as well. Um, the other sort of big thing, which really, to be honest, in the in the scheme of the things that we have been talking about, is not that big. Although the nations, it has been. It's worth noting. I'm sure you saw, even if you're not an AFL supporter, there was uh, a reasonably big news where someone who was the former head of the NAB Bank got got a role as the head of Essendon Football Club, and had it for 24 hours before he lost the job, because he's also the the chair of a of a apparently a controversial church um it's actually the church that ben used to go to so ben i'm worried about you <laughs> apparently you were a part of a controversial cult yes yeah uh it's called city on a hill there's actually a, a city on a hill also has a it's not controversial at all. it's ridiculous it's people who've got no sense of the um, okay don't get me started graham pull up pull up um but there is some really interesting discussions at the moment, ongoing discussions on the intersection between faith and particularly public life. Um, and I think this week, if, I'm sure some of you have followed, if not all, to some degree, and some maybe a lot. Um, there's lots, it's interesting reflections on what it says about our nation, what it says about, um, you know, people are are concerned, I think, uh, understandably, about freedom of religion. What does that mean anymore? I, I'm, you know, there's also some concerns about maybe um, if we're, as a church, want to reserve the right, this is my reflection, reserve the right to employ people in line with values and stick strongly to that, we maybe got to be okay when clubs or organizations that have different values want to do the same thing even if we disagree with that there's there's an interesting discussion there i think worth having and then there's a whole interesting discussion about how ridiculous christians can be online don't get me started about that either um as well as anyway it's just people really isn't it it's just people uh rightly or wrongly i set a higher bar for christians in the way in which they engage with other people online um, and that bar is so suitably high that I'm regularly disappointed. Uh, but I think there are some things to talk about. And I, I think that'll be one of the things that we'll discuss tonight. Um, 
so if you want to come along and have a bit of a chat about that to dig into that, because it, it, there's some, it feels like a bit of a moment there. There's much more important things going on in our church, if I'm honest, this week, because uh, it's about people. But there is something going on in our nation that's not unimportant. Um, and uh, I, I, if you want to come along tonight, we might discuss some of that. But it's also maybe something we will revisit. Um, very interesting. But for this morning, I want to pick up the... Uh, we've got a couple more weeks where we have been doing this series called The Jesus Life. Um, doing the things Jesus did. And the idea of us is to just dig into uh, what Jesus did. If we are followers of Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we've had a number of people reflect out of their own experience and probably... Um, talk about this it's been some wonderful um messages and if you've missed them go online where people are just reflecting on this this is the, the life of jesus has impacted me in this way and and this is what this has been important for me so we've had people share on the prayer life of jesus on the mission of jesus on the inclusivity of jesus on these ideas to say this is what jesus did and so therefore uh this is what following jesus looks like to me and so I want to pick up that idea this morning I want to talk about the vision of Jesus now let me tell you a story the vision of Jesus um, when I was relatively new just starting out as a youth pastor I I thought what I needed to do um, was to get a vision there was a lot of talk and there still is a lot of talk, but, but like leaders need you need to have a vision and so I kind of spent um a whole lot of time and energy sort of carefully crafting and this is like the the youth ministry that I see and kind of talking about its structure and design being spending a lot of time and effort and a lot of words about the vision this is the youth ministry that I'd see because I, that was what I thought and understood leaders needed to do and I, to a degree it's, it's really right I had um, a really wise uh, mentor in my life who was a bit of a legend has been a bit of a legend in youth ministry and he was the youth pastor of a of a local church and I went to him and it was a bit like master apprentice sort of you know I, I was taking it for a bit of validation and I gave him these reams of paper where I described things and had dig I love if you know me I love a good chart love a good diagram love a box love a circle had all this stuff and I was explaining to him lots of enthusiasm and at the end of when I'd sort of shared all this he um he sat back and he did like a bit of a Yoda kind of, hmm. And he said, tell me about the students in your ministry. What do you see there? And I was like, oh, uh, oh, well, I, you know, I just really hope that have a, you know, I really hope that have a very real encounter with Jesus. I, I hope it's the, the kind of community where people, anyone feels really welcome. And I just started talking off the top of my head and he interrupt me and said Graham that's your vision and it was such a moment where I'd spent all this time and this is not unimportant you know look you're thinking about structures and thinking about all sorts of other things and he just went straight to the heart and said actually how do you see people that's your vision and I've, I've tried to carry that with me and so when we're talking today about the vision of Jesus, we're not talking about the vision of the church that he sees or, or society or culture, although he speaks about those things. We're looking at, we're going to reflect on how Jesus saw people. And what does that mean for the way in which we see people? 
Now, uh, to do this, we're going to, um, we're going to read a, quite a big chunk here from Matthew 9. Um, we're going to do, I think, to really land and understand and, and grab what in this passage, not just what Jesus is saying, but what Jesus is doing. I'll talk about that in a moment. There's, when you come to Scripture, if we ask not just the question, what is, what is God saying? What is God, Jesus saying? But actually ask, what is Jesus doing? That's often the very profound thing. That's where the, the deep gold is. So we're going to do that. But to do, to get to that, what uh, Jesus is doing in these passages, we need to do a little bit of uh, work with the context. But let's just read this. We're going to read a bit of a chunk here. Um, most of Matthew 9, in fact. So Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. So men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Oh, that'd be creepy to be around, wouldn't it? Knowing their thoughts. Every now and then there's these little phrases in Scripture. I just noticed that then, knowing their thoughts. Oh, that's right, he knows our thoughts. Anyway. Uh, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is, easy, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God who had given, uh, who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, he heard it this time, it wasn't. Jedi mind trick or whatever. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There is then, a, we won't read this for the sake of time. There's a, pa a passage where some of the Pharisees come and ask him and challenge his authority. This authority thing is a theme. You need to just store that away. Um, and he also talks about, it's the bit where he talks about, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. So he, it's a bit cryptic in that bit there. Um, then in verse 18, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, so as he was going, just then a woman who had been the subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch this cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been pulled outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Then there's a bit, there's some more healing. So he heals a blind man, someone who couldn't speak, and then came across someone who was um, possessed uh, by, by a demon. So he frees them. He frees that person. Then it finishes with, 
the word, uh, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the synagogues, teaching in their synagogues, all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turned to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That ends um, a chunk of scripture. And for us to get what God is doing through Jesus here, we actually need to understand. And actually, this is a Josh did this, you might recall, talked about this passage a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about Jesus letting let the children come to me. It's actually, I, I think it's actually for people wanting to follow Jesus and understand what he's doing. This these chapters and understanding what's going on here actually is, is critical. It, it took my understanding of what we are to do, to what it is to follow Jesus to a whole other level to see the context. So, you know, this idea that you can kind of pretty much grab any scripture and pull it out and get it to apply to pretty much anything. Um, pulling it out of the context. But any um, good Bible teacher, biblical scholar, um, will tell you that to understand it truly, you've got to put it in its context. In fact, there's this famous thing you might have heard before, that if you take the text out of context, you're le left with a con. So remember, get it? Very clever, isn't it? You take the text out of context. So no Bible scholar will say that. They're embarrassed by that. That's pastors like me say that to try and dumb it down. Ah, oh, so what you're saying is if we take... Yes, that's right. So um, Chris and these two guys just blanched when I said that. But I've got some bumper stickers you can put on your car. Um, just to remind you. So we, so then the text of a, of a line is the chapter. But actually the chapters are written with incredible intentionality, which we should expect if we are people who believe this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we find in Matthew, he's doing something under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Really important that unless you pull back and see all of it, you'll miss what's happening in the verse. So let's just take a look. This is kind of revision a little bit. The start of Matthew, and we're going to read all of it. No, we're not going to read all of it. I'm just kidding. So Matthew 1 and 2. Well, the first thing, Matthew was a Jew. And one of the things that the Spirit inspires him uh, to be concerned about is placing Jesus in his historical context as, as Jewish, proving to primarily Matthew in the first instance was writing to fellow Jews and he's trying to establish this is the Messiah and so he's constantly connecting Jesus and what happened to scriptures and prophecies and it starts with the genealogy and what he's doing there is this it's, he's not just kind of showing off look at all the stuff I know look what I found out he's actually helping people understand that Jesus lineage needed to be born of the line of David so he does that he demonstrates that um, and he and he gives the uh the incarnation story. Matthew 3 to 4 is all around. So you have John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. Then Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. Do you remember that? And he goes into the wilderness um, and then he calls the disciples and the crowd start to follow him. So that's sort of the preparation for his ministry. And again, when you read that, Matthew's kind of saying, often saying things, this was in, done in order to fulfill this prophecy. He's kind of demonstrating something, saying, this guy's the real deal. Pay attention to his life. This guy's the real deal. Where Matthew 5, and this is the, the, the passage, the part of the chapter, uh, sorry, the part of the book that what we just read finishes. Matthew 5 is the famous Sermon on the Mount. 
And it's really considered in Matthew the beginning of what we call his ministry. There's about three years. The Gospels are just made up of three years, basically, of Jesus walking around teaching. Really short period of time. And in Matthew, it's written in a way that kind of says, go. Here it is right right now. You pay attention from here. And it's the famous Sermon on the Mount. And as Josh was saying the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, What's going on here is really an explanation of the values of the kingdom. Now, I like to use this phrase, I've, I grabbed it from, some, um, from other people, that it's a manifesto of the kingdom. A manifesto is what revolutionaries write to say, we're leading a revolution, this is what it's going to be all about. That's the idea of a manifesto, it has this energy. Where we're going to turn the world, we're going to turn our country upside down, or where we're going to, and here's my manifesto. I want to encourage you, you should read the Sermon of the Mount, not as a whole lot of really nice, polite sayings about how to be a good Christian and put on bumper stickers on Christian cars. You should read it as, this is how we will turn the world upside down. Because that's how it was heard. If you don't read it looking for that, you've just watered down the work of Jesus. Because that's how it hit That's how it landed at the time. And through centuries, that's what it does if people understand what it is. It's it's Jesus saying, look, you you know, you've thought an eye for an eye. You've heard it to an eye. Let me tell you, not revenge, turn the other cheek. What? Uh, You've heard it said that when you forgive someone, you know, uh, you've got to forgive them seven times. No, no, no. 70 times seven. In other words, you've all, you, you're never done with grace. You're never done with forgiveness. You've heard this, but I'm saying this. It's got all of that stuff in it. And it's saying, if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the kingdom of God, then you need to flip your life upside down. You need to live so completely different to the values of the world that you'll be seen as a revolutionary. If you don't get that from Matthew 5 to 7, keep reading it. Keep reading it, because that's what it is. So at the end of Matthew 7, he comes down, and then we have this section that we're talking about now. And straight away, he comes down off the mountain, and he goes and puts his hands on, does anyone know? A leper. And then he and heals them. And then he goes and puts his hands on a Roman centurion's daughter. And what happens in the next chapters and you just saw it he's just healing people left right and center but who are the kind of people that he's healing is it the hoi polloi and the hoity-toity people that he could curry favor with they are the very outside the people who if you were jewish remembering matthew was writing to jewish people if you thought well if this if jesus is really on about the kingdom of god and it's going to come bring sort of heaven to earth then who are the kind of people we would expect that would receive it first not a leper, not a Roman, not a woman who has got a, a medical condition that means that she's not been able to be a part of society for 12 years. And so what he does is demonstrate this is what the kingdom looks like lived out. He's a very good teacher. You explain and then you demonstrate. He says, pay attention. This is Jesus in his fully human this was, people often think this is when he comes down and he's healing and he's like being a ghostbuster and casting out. It's like this is Jesus being fully divine. No, he's actually being fully human. He's saying, 
this is what it looked like for a human being who was completely given over to the values of the kingdom. This is what it looks like, lived out. So, and there's this big thing about power and authority. We won't go into that today, but Matthew's always power, the ability to change things. Authority is the rightful use of power. And he's demonstrating, there's all this language about power and authority. He's demonstrating power and authority. And so, do you understand why now at the end of that, oh, so, uh, hang on, where have I gone? Sorry, that's what I was going to say. So, oh, what have I done? There we are. Luke 4. He's healing people. He's, he begins the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor. He um, setting people free. And what he's just doing, Luke 4 was actually his first sermon. Luke, it mentions after he comes in from the wilderness, he comes in and picks up Isaiah 61 and says, this is what I'm about, his first sermon. Remember that? He's in the synagogue, picks up Isaiah 61 and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he reads out this prophecy. And then at the end, he says to everyone gathered, today, this scripture is fulfilled in its hearing. He's saying, me, I'm, the, I'm that guy. And so he's really demonstrating living out this, this radical kingdom agenda. And then the bit that we just finished with, he commissions the people of the kingdom to go and do the same. Here's what the kingdom of God's all about. Here's what it looks like when you operate in power and authority and it finishes, now you go and do the same. Do you see why the whole chunk is important? Because if we put if we sort of cherry pick bits out, we don't see what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. You'll be, if you're on my agenda, you'll be living this kind of life. That's what he's saying. And actually that, um, when he says, the very last thing in Matthew 9, it concludes this section, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The, word, the original language, send out is missio, missile, mission, eject. And so some versions say, ask the Lord to eject people. It's like, go with power. And so therefore, we've got this idea that he is commissioning. And have a look at, at the end of, you'll probably be more familiar with this version of the commissioning, which Jesus' words right at the very end that Matthew records. Then Jesus came to them and have a look at the themes being picked up here. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's so important when we read the Great Commission. This is not so go and, go and get converts to be... To, um, Go and get more people to be Christians. That's not what making disciples are, is. Go and teach them to obey all that I've taught them. Go and, um, absolutely, part of it is recognizing and realizing and submitting to the Lordship of Christ, but to live the kind of life that you've seen me live. When we reduce the Great Commission down to getting people saved, Saving souls, which is the language that sometimes shorthands, it's just we get really focused on the moment that people enter the kingdom. We're not actually fulfilling the Great Commission. That's, that's a part of it. That's an important part. But it's actually go and follow me. Teach people to obey all that I've commanded. He's pointing back to Matthew 5 to 7. So, really critical. Here's the thing I want you 
Now, now that we've done all that, does that make sense? All good? You can come tonight if it doesn't. Any questions? Come along tonight. There'll be a nice charcuterie board. You're, you're on tonight. I think I did last week. It was really good last week. Can't promise about what it'll be like tonight, but anyway, come along anyway. Again, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, very intentional. It's been curated for you, for people who, to, who have ears to listen and hear. And this, uh, scholars acknowledge, is the pattern here is um, inescapable. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart. He saw a man named Matthew sitting on the tax collector's booth. Jesus turned and saw her when he saw the crowds. Before just about each one of these important things, Matthew wants to know, like it wasn't like Jesus was walking around with his eyes closed. Saying something, he, he noticed something. There was something very, Jesus saw something. And I guess what I'm commending to you this morning, that if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to live like Jesus, if we're all in on Jesus, if, we're, if we want our lives to be defined by the fact that we're following Jesus and experience and join with him and be commissioned with him, in this incredible Isaiah 61, Luke 4, Matthew 24 mission of seeing people come into freedom and wholeness and, and prosper and live, you've first got to see like Jesus. Because if you don't see people like Jesus, then that's the very start. And in fact, if we go right back to the start, Matthew 5 of this section, the Sermon on the Mount, how does it start? Now when Jesus saw the crowds. There's something very intentional going on when he's seeing. He's, and in fact, uh, it's written in a way, and we've talked about this before because this really enamors me. There's a sense in which metaphorically and maybe even literally gathered in front of him because previously we know Jesus has now got a bit of a reputation. People are following him. It's a bit of a scene. There's also Pharisees there who are, trying to, who are threatened and trying to catch him out. So there's pro- metaphorically, but maybe even figuratively, here's all the people of prominence. And on the edges, because that's where the people who were on the edges of society were in the day, literally on the edges of crowd. It's like Jesus looked past these people and he saw. And his first words, blessed are the poor in spirit he speaks to them blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek and he goes and lists these beatitudes and this group of people here the power brokers the those with religious and social clout they would have been going that's not how it works you don't you don't get anywhere in this life in the ancient world by making peace you get somewhere by making war You don't get somewhere by being meek. You're proud. You're strong. It's your sense of name. And so they're going, what is this on about? But the people on the edges are going, this really is good news. This really is different. And the sense is Jesus saw them and said, the kingdom of God is for you. And all power and all authority from heaven and earth has been poured out so that you are invited and can receive 
and participate in the good news. Like I said, if you don't read Matthew 5 to 7 as a revolutionary text, you're not seeing what Jesus is doing. You might be hearing what he's saying. You're not seeing what he's doing. And it starts with who he saw. And then for the rest of the Gospels, Jesus just continues to see with those eyes. So this is Zacchaeus. It's a weird photo, isn't it? It's like, I I picked that one. There were other ones, but I like that one in particular. It's like his, I don't know what's going on there anatomically. But that's Zacchaeus, who was so short, he had no legs. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus saw him. And said, he didn't see a corrupt person who's taking advantage of his own people he saw a seeker I love this photo this is the the woman who'd been bleeding I love the sense in which she's on the edge in the dark but reaching out and this one too it's just just a little bit of faith Jesus saw her he saw that faith Jesus saw the woman at the well the Samaritan woman And sure, he saw her past. He saw her reality. I like in the background there the sense of scandal. You can see those, the sense of scandal. Jesus didn't see a scandal. He saw someone seeking truth. As Josh spoke to us a few weeks ago, Jesus saw children as not as possessions or chattel or added on until they make it through till adulthood but he saw them as valuable said let them come to me Jesus saw that woman who'd been in an adulterous relationship he saw her as someone of value who needed to be defended he saw the Pharisees hypocrisy he saw into their hypocrisy he just walked through life and he saw things differently and when he saw things differently it was the start of a kingdom moment that usually led, often, always, led to someone being set free, to hearing good news, to being delivered. If that's what we're to be, if we're to follow Jesus, then we've got to start seeing things differently. Seeing people as Jesus see people. I'll get the band to come up, thanks, guys. This is Mary, who broke open probably her most valuable possession that was actually most likely there to secure her future marriage in in this act it wasn't just she was putting perfume she was saying i am trusting in you completely my future i'm 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 you're the one who in whom i should trust and she broke that open the disciples thought that was incredibly waste so inefficient jesus saw a woman who was putting all her trust in him Jesus sees the obstacles for us to go all in. Here's the challenge. Make no mistake. Rich young ruler comes and presents as someone earnestly looking and seeking faith. Jesus goes, yes, but there's this thing. If you really want to go all in, you need to get rid of these possessions that are an obstacle to you. Jesus saw that. He went away. Disappointed. Sad. This one I love because it's been me so many times. 
Jesus saw Peter days after Peter betrayed him. Days after he denied even knowing him, even knowing him. Jesus comes to this man who was broken, who's gone back, who's given up any hope of a future that he thought maybe serving and following God and gone back to what he was doing before. And Jesus sees him not as the person who betrayed him, not as the person who let him down, but he saw him as someone who he could build his church on. He saw his purpose and his destiny. That's amazing. Jesus sees. And as we finish this morning, the challenge for all of us to really to really live out this kingdom manifesto in a way that shapes our, our culture, our world, the way in which it shaped the early world, is to first see. But this morning, so there's a challenge there and I invite you to maybe reflect and be honest before God. What, who do I need to see differently? Not what, who. Who do I need to see differently? Steve couldn't do what he does. What he, imagine what Steve sees. Imagine the vomit that Steve sees and the words and things that he... If Steve wasn't seeing those people that he's coming across through the eyes of Jesus, why would you? Who do we need to see differently? But here's the thing to go with that. Sometimes we're not free to see people the way Jesus does because we feel like we are not seen. And this morning, I just as I was preparing, and this is slightly tangential, but I really feel it's encouragement from God. He sees you. He sees you. And perhaps for some of you, you are in places, in spaces in your life where the idea of what I'm doing out there and for God or for anyone, I just feel like no one sees. And I've been praying uh, this morning as this came. Perhaps this is a moment where God by His Spirit will make you feel seen because you are seen. Sometimes there's this chicken and egg thing that when we take our eyes, the eyes off the reality of the situation, I'm not saying whatever it is you're feeling is not real, but we, we lift our eyes to something. There's a perspective thing that can happen. There's a chicken and egg thing there. It's a bit mysterious to me. But this morning, there's a message for someone or maybe a bunch of someone. You are seen. He sees you. He sees you with the same eyes that he saw Peter. With the same eyes that he saw that woman at the well. He sees you with those same eyes. You're loved. You've got a future. You've got a hope. So we're just going to worship for a while um, if you would like someone to sit with you uh, sometimes one of the ways in which God sees you is through the eyes of someone else Dwayne and Cheryl are going to be over here um, each week if if you would like to come before God with someone else to sort of um, whatever it is that you want to bring before God Dwayne and Cheryl and if there's lots we'll find more people to sit with you to know that you're seen in doing that. So we're going to pray over here. We're going to worship for a while. In about five minutes or so, we're going to see this man over there in the corner and pray and thank God for the eyes that he's given you, Steve.
all power and authority. All power and authority has been released so that you can do what you need to do on those mornings. Been ejected. It's a great example of that injection commission. All power and authority has been given once we start seeing people the way Jesus does. So that's the invitation. We're going to worship for a while. Um, in a moment, we might just sing in a moment. Um, Chris is going to come and just give a benediction. And then you're welcome to stay or join us next week. Bless you, folks. God, how to you.